We begin tonight with the Middle East in flames. Israel has formally declared war after that unprecedented multi-pronged terror attack from Hamas, shocking the nation, catching its intelligence service by surprise. The death toll is mounting and at least 100 taken hostage. Several Americans are now confirmed to be among the dead. Given that the United States is now involved in wars that are taking place in Europe and also in the Middle East, I, I, I want to play this soundbite for you that is just last month in Vietnam and ask you if this still holds for the president. Watch. The only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a, than a nuclear war, is global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. Given all the nuclear players in these two areas where we are now engaged on, does the president stand by that comment? Absolutely he does. Climate change is an existential threat. It, could, you know, it actually threatens and is capable of wiping out all human life on Earth. This does, these last few days have been a real uh, eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language uh, used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday. Popular, popular, popular. We just need to let everybody know who brought it to them. <laughs> Receipts. Amen. That's doable. <laughs> Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 152. Someday we're going to have that celebratory 150. But uh, anyways, this is Thursday, October 12th. And I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Mike McKenna. And uh, we will discuss uh, at length uh, the issue, the situation in the Middle East. Uh, I just thought the... Um, the, the fact that John Kirby <laughs> still refuses to budge from the talking point of existential threat, uh, climate change, is incredibly disciplined of him, one, two. Did you see that the there was a long article about the UN and how, uh, I'm sorry, the cop is going to get all, yes. whether or not it's going to, by the way, you with, you saw who wrote with, that. No, I didn't catch it. Tim Puka wrote that. Oh, Tim, this silly war is going to screw with all the progress that was going to be made at at COP. Okay, I had the occasion to talk to him right before that. Right before he filed that, I'm like, "What are you working on?" And he told me, "I'm like, of course, it's the Washington Post. What would you expect?" Yeah, yeah. Anyways, here's here's my point about both of these things, both Kirby and that article. Every single, it seems to me that every single time something actually happens that's remotely consequential, climate change somehow takes the back burner. Now, it doesn't reconcile with the fact that John Kirby thinks that, you know, of course, climate change would mean the total annihilation of the entire population of, of the Earth. Yeah, John Kirby, right? like, John, John Kirby doesn't actually believe that, neither does anybody else. Nobody believes it. You know, we're, we're, we are, who believes it? Nobody. We're, we're, we're in a, we're in a emperor has no clothes. Nobody believes this stuff, but nobody seems to want to say it. The other thing about Kirby that kind of bothers me is that he teared up during a CNN interview about the Hamas invasion. Now I get it. 
this thing was barbaric and terrible on a scale we haven't seen since we fought the Japanese in World War II. Um, but, but you're a serious person. You're in charge of the United States government. People are counting on you to have a cool head and a calm yeah. eye and a steady demeanor. Can you imagine what would have happened if George Patton had cried, like you know, or, or Dwight Eisenhower had cried when George he was talking Patton to the got, troops? George Patton got reprimanded for smacking one of the soldiers over the I, I mean, I face get, with his glove. What's the matter with you? I get it. <laughs> I, I really do get it. You know, Giuliani in 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 the wake of September 11th, and this this tells you something about these old timers, right? They asked Giuliani about it. Did he ever cry? Because he never showed emotion at the funerals or the weddings he went to afterwards, which was remarkable. And he said, yeah, he said, I cry all the time. He said, I go in the bathroom and I cry. Yeah. But he would never be caught in public crying. Well, nowadays it's cool to cry. It's bullshit. And you shouldn't do it if you're a man. I don't think BB cried. I don't know. Maybe. I hope not. I hope for the love of God he didn't. No, I mean, the thing, uh, the, the proper I, I response. Being, I was being facetious. You never can tell nowadays. You, maybe he did. Maybe I missed it. I sure hope he didn't. All I, right. Um, apparently, we Kamala, Vice President Harris thinks that the this is the, the a chronic <laughs> problem with the Democrats. Their stuff is so popular. It's popular. It's popular. It's popular. Just nobody. We're not communicating effectively enough. Yeah, you know, Biden. I I, I think we maybe I, I maybe we said this last week. I don't know. I'm going to keep saying it because it's the right answer. You know, when people think about Bidenomics, here's what they think about: a deterioration in their standard of living and their purchasing power. Inflation has eaten up any increase in wages, and and that's what they think about. That's it's their, everything. That's it, your accomplishment. It, you. What do you do every day? You buy something, whether it's groceries or gas or clothes, you buy something practically every day, right? Yeah. And when you buy it and, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's 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 down like a buck. Yeah. From, you know, six, it went from six to five. It used to be two. Yeah. That isn't like progress. I don't understand why the Republican candidates, none of them will just, tr- will, will hit them with the Reagan question. Are you better You're off better now off. than you were? And because the answer, the answer is uniformly no. Negative. I'm not no. safer. I'm not richer. My kids aren't healthier. The answer is no. They're not smarter. Education isn't better. Uh, I, you, you, the streets aren't we'll safer. We'll talk about where Biden thinks about this phenomenon uh, as well, yeah, a little well, bit later. Yeah. All right. Anything for announcements? Uh, when is it? October. October twelfth. Yeah, Today's I want, October twelfth. Yeah, I yeah. want to wish I want to wish my mother. My mother had a had a happy birthday yesterday, um, at ninety one. So she's still hanging in there. Um, I also want to say um, I'm sorry for the two hundred and forty Washington Post employees who are going to lose their job. Basically, it's ten percent of the workforce over there. So Jeff Bezos wasn't wasn't planning on saving everybody, gang. Um, but I feel bad for the two hundred. Why doesn't he just? Why doesn't he just keep them on as a charity? Uh, you know, I mean, he's got the money. You don't get to be a billionaire so. by by running charities. <laughs> what well, gives away hundreds of millions of dollars? He gave Van Jones a hundred million dollars to spend to walk around buying green indulgences. So, yeah, well. that probably would have been better spent. My son is going to be fourteen on the fifteenth. So I'm going to wish him a happy birthday. And 
uh, our mutual friend Bob had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, Bob. Yeah, happy birthday, Bob. Also, happy birthday to my niece, uh, Claire, who turned 18 on the Monday, I think. No, right. Tuesday. Tuesday. This sure. is the second time this has happened. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, and I guess it's going to happen more often now since we're up to 152 episodes. Yeah. What happened on this day in history in 1492, Mike McKenna? Columbus sailed the ocean blue and landed here in America. Uh, the new world was quote unquote. You don't want to, you know. Discovered. Was that- discovered this day in 1492 when land was sighted in the Caribbean, most likely San Salvador. From the Pinta, one of the three ships that participated in Cristofo Columbus's historic voyage. Yeah, the Pinta, the Nina, and the Santa Maria. I don't even know if they teach that stuff anymore. Okay, well, how about 1901? How about 1901? William this, Mc- is a, this was William unbeknownst Mc- to me. William McKinley was shot. No, President Theodore Roosevelt officially changed yeah. the name of the president's residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue from the executive mansion to the white house. I didn't, I didn't know they had a formal name change. Seems racist to me. Neither did I. Seems racist. I don't get it. White seems like a certain lack of imagination. I mean, (laughs) I keep waiting for a president to show up and paint the thing blue one day. (laughs) I kind of like executive mansion, but whatever. Okay. So in 2000 on this day, and this is, um, Fitting for what's happening this week. On 2000, on this day, uh, I'll give you a hint. There was a port in Yemeni where one of our ships was refueling. Oh, um, this is the uh, USS Cole, right? Yes, sir. USS Cole Naval Destroyer was attacked by suicide bombers associated with Al-Qaeda, and 17 sailors were killed and 39 wounded on this day. Yeah. They, um, one of the one of the dead was, uh, I think his first name was Ken, a guy named Claude Felter. He was a, a seaman first class or some such. He was a, basically the enlisted guys in the Navy. He Anyway, he's a Richmond guy, and his, his old man runs a pretty prosperous small business there and um, named a chunk of highway after the kid. Drive, mm. drive, drive, drive past it every day, and I think, yeah, yeah, it was, you know. One of those things. That was uh, under President Clinton. So two two prominent reason I remember this from last year is because of one of these two prominent people died on this day in 1870. This gentleman passed passed along. Grant. Nope. Damn it. Other side. Robert E. Lee. Correct, sir. Robert E. Lee. And on this day in 1997, um, this popular. Singer country. I'm sorry, 1977? 1977? 1997. 1997? This popular folk slash country singer tragically died in a plane crash. Hank Williams. John Denver. Oh, yeah. Are we sure he didn't kill himself? No, I believe it was a plane crash, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I... Okay. Yeah, okay, you're on fire today. We're moving on. We're going to talk about this Israel thing. Um, so a few highlights. Uh, interestingly, going back to Jack Rip Van Jack Tapper, who apparently had no idea that there was an, an anti-Semitism streak 
within the Democratic Party. He was shocked, I think. Is, what was his quote? The last few days have been a real eye-opening period for a lot of people. A lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, like, I mean, where, where are you... Where, what rock have you been living under, dude? Well, I mean, the math is pretty... The math is pretty simple, gang. There's there's more Muslims now than Jews in the United States, and their their political home for both of them is in the is in the Democratic Party. This is the these are the kind of conflicts you're gonna have, and I don't understand how a guy who's supposed to be some great big giant political genius like Jacob Tapper can't figure that out. I'm like just like everything else in politics. Look at the math and it explains a lot. Yeah, and I'm like here's another hot take. Uh, at least not everybody uh, in the Democratic Party is waffling on this issue. There are a number of um, Democrats who are calling for a freeze on the Iranian money, the $6 billion. Yeah. And they all happen to be 2024 Dem Senate candidates in battleground states. Yeah, I mean, that, that $6 billion, that... It looks super bad, the timing of it and all that other stuff. It just looks bad. I mean, not for me, but bad for the administration. And this is, this is, this is, I hate to say this this way, but um, this is the natural consequence of playing footsie with the Iranians, right? This, you, you, you encourage this kind of thing. And, and I, I guarantee you in the next week, all we're going to hear about is how um, the, the, um, the Iranians were not behind this and we're not aware of it and all this other stuff, not because anybody's trying to protect. There's the no proof. There's no evidence. Right. Not because, far. not because anybody's trying to protect the Iranians It's because the media is trying to protect the administration. Um, yeah. And, and all, but there is, there are, um, it must be propaganda, but Hamas is basically admitting that they were involved and, there's sure. been discussions about the fact that this has been going on for a year, uh, the, planning the, for this thing. The, the idea that the and Hezbollah is waiting in the wings. Last I checked, Iran was backing them also. Yeah, the the idea that any of this stuff happens without Iran without Iran at least being okay with it is ridiculous because there's literally no other sponsor out there in the Middle East. I mean, this is larger picture. This is really about making sure the Saudis can't. Um, yeah, can't tie the knot with the Israelis. It, That's right, and they were on the cusp. Well, and and now they have since pulled back. Yeah, so. well, I mean, you know, the, I mean, the, the, you know, that that's something that that's something that the Trump team worked towards, and you know, like I said, knitted together the commercial relationship, figuring a political relationship would follow. That's exactly what's happened. Um, the, the the Hamas, Iran. Iran and their clients in the Middle East are trying to prevent something that's not preventable, right? They're trying to prevent the Saudis coming into the Israeli orbit and vice versa and everybody coming into the American orbit. And they're also trying to prevent the Saudis from getting the bomb, which – sorry, buddy. Once once, once the Shiites have the bomb, the Sunnis are going to need it too and vice versa. Yeah. So um, it, it – yeah, I don't. It, it, I, it, this is this is a this is an uprising by an indigenous peoples that is just not going to really make that much difference. In I the long don't term. understand the left's fixation with playing footsie with Iran. It, you know, it's I, there's something behind it. Yeah, I don't. It's, I don't. It was it, it was, uh, you know, on, on steroids. Under, well, let, let's just not kid ourselves. This is the third Obama term, so 
it's all the same players yeah um driving this driving this train yeah and iran is you know essentially would like to they will not rest until the whole world is you know under muslim law right that's their goal that's their aspiration well so. in, in all fairness it's it's the in all fairness it is in fact the requirement of all um good muslims to um, try to bring that about the difference is the iranians want to bring it about at the point of a sword um you know it's it's yeah and i'm perfectly comfortable with that i don't I'm, i'd be concerned if you were if you had a religion and didn't think that you were right about it like what the hell's yeah. the point of having one of these things if you don't think you're right about it but you got to draw the line at killing people the the this well and also let's let's make it absolutely clear that um the the Iranians, I mean, Israel is the first place that they need to go, right? Yeah, well, That's, you can't if you can't if you can't clean up your own neighborhood, you can't really do anything else, right? Exactly. And you know, the, the Israelis, and I want to I want to draw some line here because everyone's been talking about anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli, like that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. You're allowed to be anti-Israeli; doesn't make you anti-Semitic. In fact, the there are plenty of there are plenty of Jews and Jewish organizations that that have reservations about the Israelis from time to time. I have reservations about the Israelis from time to time. Yeah, and there are plenty of Jews who uh, are sympathetic towards a Palestinian state. Sure, sure. So, so you got to be careful about this. But I will say this, right? The Israelis um, have turned out to be um, significantly more durable than their than their um, adversaries would have imagined. Back in 1948, right? So yeah, the, the, the idea they're just going to go away strikes me as a losing policy proposition. The Saudis are thinking about this the right way. Hey, these guys are now like a feature of the landscape. We just got to deal with them, right? It's a little bit like American Canada, right? We wish they'd go away, yeah. but they just won't. So we got to deal with them. Well, and it's interesting that you bring it up in that regard because if you look at the arc of history, right, you can easily make the case that this Israel is in its infancy still. Right. And like it could have gone another way many, many times now. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, I think that the the feeling is, is that they're not like you said, they're going to be a fixture of the landscape. So let's figure out a way to take advantage to make it work. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the Saudis, I'm not a big fan of the Saudis either. Right. They're they're They have their own problems with murderous intent. Right. Um, but they're realists. They live in the world they live in, right? They're surrounded by they're surrounded by people who would like to take a chunk off them, and that makes your wits keen and your fists hard, right? So okay, couple couple more on this, unless you have anything. No, I'm I'm, I'm... there's a there's an interesting article I found in Reuters. Um, you heard about this Harvard University student organization letter? No. Okay, so um, there were. Um, Harvard undergraduate Palestinian Palestine Solidarity Committee with signatures from 33 university student organization argued Hamas's military assault on Israel did not occur in a vacuum, unquote, quote, comparing the Gaza Strip to an open air prison while claiming that Israel's apartheid regime is the only one to blame, quote, unquote, Harvard, Harvard student newspaper, the Harvard Crimson reported. The statement says Israel is entirely responsible for the violence that began Saturday when Hamas militants crossed the Gaza into southern Israel. 
So I did not know that you were unaware of that letter. Did you, did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Th that's a perfectly rational argument and, and I would be happy to entertain it and I would be happy to consent to a bunch of it. Right. Um, but there is, there is, you except in times of maximum warfare, there is no excuse. There's never an excuse to target civilians, never, under any set of circumstances. And to desecrate bodies, that, that, oh, yeah. that, 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 that is, like but I said. Israel we, is entirely responsible for that. And Harvard. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, see, that's why I draw the line, because yeah. whatever Israel did, you know, look, it's like a conversation I have with people all the time about Pete Rose getting into the Hall of Fame, right? Because everybody always says, well, what about this guy or that guy or the other guy? I'm like, we're not talking about those guys now. We're talking about what Pete Rose did. It's the same thing. We're not talking about what Israel did now. We're talking about what Hamas did. And and the butchery was just, like I said, we haven't seen anything like that since the war in the Pacific, which is 80 years in the rearview mirror now. It yeah, I was enough to to completely unify the Israeli parliament. Like they formed a war, of course, a unity war. How could it uh, not coalition? Be? Right, like a hundred percent. How could you like not? After right? all the stuff going on and all the you know Netanyahu like rising from the ashes over and over again, that they're all behind him. So well, yes. just just I mean, I, I I had this thought experiment. A reporter yesterday asked me about this. I had this thought experiment. And I said, look, let's just say that. Hamas lived out, you know, in the northern suburbs of Pittsburgh and decided one morning that they were just going to pop out of, of, their, of their enclave and launch a bunch of rockets and kill every civilian they could all in Pittsburgh. I'm like, would we like say to the United States Marine Corps when we sent them in, you guys be gentle, make sure you observe the rules of the game or would be like, oh, yeah. just go in there and smoke everybody you the see. The squad man. wants a ceasefire. The squad needs bloodshed. <laughs> so, we need a ceasefire. So we need <laughs> Did you see the did you see the Babylon B about this? No. Oh, it's so great. It's it, its headline was just Emperor Hirohito calls for ceasefire after Pearl Harbor attack. <laughs> So anyway, the article though that's from Forbes, it there's a head okay billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman said Tuesday that he wants the names of the students to be released in an effort not to hire them. Yeah, good for him. And a few others chimed in as well. Um, John Neiman, CEO of, of of Sweetgreen, responded to the post saying. He'd like to know, so I know never to hire these people. Yeah, I, I, and then I don't know if you saw this too. There's another one too. There's three or four that came out publicly and said it. Harvard is like, the you know, they're like no student group, not even thirty student groups speaks for Harvard. And then you've got all these individuals who are in some of these groups tweeting saying, "I didn't know the statement was coming out." Oh my gosh! Right, like. Too, okay. Too late. Too late, friends. Again, yeah. you play footsie with these guys. This is yeah, what you resign, get. right? Like you, you're woke. You're broke. Basically, well, the, is what these guys are saying. The funny so. thing. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad this thing has provided some clarity to people. The other thing is, of course, the Harvard Crimson is where the New York Times goes to get all their guys, which is why the New York and the Post, right? Which is why the Times and the Post are all full of. Um, proto-Marxists, right? Because they, yeah. they go get they go get people from the Krim and 
Yeah. And the crimp, I guarantee you, the crimp probably played this story like it was just a regular old story. Not yep, like, not, exactly. Not like these exactly. guys were enablers of, of murder and rape and mayhem, because that's yep. what they are. Well, and, you know, as the, um, con- as the bombing continues in Gaza, you know, it's, it's going to, you know, Israel is going to have, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people going after them. Yep. They're just going to have to hold firm and just continue to like do what they need to do on this. Cause this is a game forever, forever landscape changer. What happened this past weekend? It was they mind numbing. They paraded numbing. live and dead bodies as trophies. Yeah, it it and, was and, a, it, an absolute game changer, and people need to like grow up. Basically, like we need grown ups, grown ups. People. Speaking of grown ups, yes. Um, we're not them. Special K, he he veered out of his lane. Yeah. He veered out of his lane, Mike. You know, climate change is his lane, right? Yeah, well, Especially I, when it comes to the, the slave labor in China was, and everything I was, else. I was going to say, this is a guy who's looked the other way with the Chinese atrocities for years. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, now, wait a minute. Here, here is a post from the special envoy. As POTUS has made clear, the U.S unequivocally condemns the unspeakable acts of hate and terrorism by Hamas killers. Yeah, but like I said, the 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 unspeakable acts of of slavery and um genocide and political oppression by the communist Chinese, those are okay. Just, they're not no, he didn't say they were okay. They're just not in his They're lane. okay. They they're not worthy of his notice. I'm not yes. gonna I'm not gonna turn yes. my I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look at them. I'm gonna turn my head so I don't have to see them. But yeah. this stuff, this stuff, yeah, I'm gonna have to pay attention to. I'm like, yeah. even though, even though, to borrow from my friend Tim, even though the whole thing might scuttle the the cop twenty eight or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It seems like everything always <laughs> scuttles the, the groundbreaking progress addressing the existential threat to humanity. <laughs> gas prices are high. Well, I don't understand. How could John Kerry... How could, gas, tax holiday, gas tax holiday drain the SBR. Uh, how could John Kirby not cry at climate change, but but cry at, at, at the Hamas thing? I'm like, dude, the Hamas thing, worst case, you, you're only going to kill a couple million people. Climate change could kill 8 billion of us. It's all, We're all doomed. All right. And lastly, uh, but not least. But not leastly. Last but not least. Yes. A prominent blogger and occasional Washington Post writer, opinion writer, Jennifer Rubin. Oh, yeah. Is she still doing stuff? She has figured out how this all came about. She tweeted, uh, sorry, she posted very short and sweet, cut to the chase, which Ron DeSantis should learn from. How about this? With U.S. House in chaos and U.S. military promotions on hold, Hamas struck. Yeah. Republican weakness invites terror. (laughs) I can't even finish it without laughing hysterically. Did did, did did Senator Tuberville, did he have hold on Israeli military guys too? Because if he does, we need to get that guy a better job than United States Senator. He's Senator, obviously ready for something else. Her hot take was that Republican chaos and U.S. military promotions on hold. That was their moment. 
My boss was like, here it is. Let's go. It's right now. I'm sorry. Is she still working at the post? Or is she gone? Ah, that's what she she claims. She should be one of the 240 who was is offered a package to walk out the door. Come on, man. And speaking of chaos in the house. Yes. Here's our transition to speakers, the speaker race, which you've already established you could care less about, but our listeners might want to know. You know what? If our listeners want to know, and then they're dopier than I think they are. That Steve Scalise is the front runner now, having barely taken uh, a majority of the Republicans in a vote. 113. And John Jordan has declared that he will and is willing to even nominate uh, Steve Scalise as speaker. And um, there are factions um, among factions um, that are uh, uh, certainly not in that camp yet. So it will be a bit of a slog for Congressman Scalise, Majority Leader Scalise, but we wish him well. We obviously uh, have a already uh expressed our favorability for his his opportunity to become a speaker in public aea endorsed him but i think we're days away from any clarity on that so that's all i'll say is i'll say something scalise is the front runner um which will of course set up a, a a shuffle which is usually always how this ends up going as everyone just moves up the ladder so um stay tuned for for more drama also, um, you should add that. Matt- I will say this though: Matt Gates is Matt Gates has turned around. His quote was, "Long live Speaker Scalise." Don't worry about it; he'll change his mind in a week or two. <laughs> All right, women, women. Shift- well, uh, the, yeah, but here's the important thing to know about this dopey speakers thing, which I hope Scalise wins because I think he's the best guy. I don't think there's any question about that, right? Um, there are 99 guys who voted against him. Those ninety nine guys are not just going to walk away like oh, okay yeah well we lost so that's that yeah right? no no I he, he's got to he's got to pick off he's got to pick people it, off it, it, get... it, the it, issue is I hear McCarthy and his KOs uh, which are uh, Kevin Onlys are running around uh, making it very difficult for Scalise yeah uh, that's the rumor I heard what Scalise needs to do is just name Frank Luntz and Jeff Miller as majority leader in case he gets to be speaker and then everyone will be happy. Okay, I'm let's done. move on to I'm, the I'm economy. Done. I'm done trying to pretend I'm like are any in of a these mood people. Today. I am. You know let's what? I'm just I'm... on to the economy, shall we? No, I want to talk about these. I want to talk about this incredibly important speakership for another four minutes, eight minutes. Um, this. Oh, we're still talking about this. I, I was no, I was, I was trying I, to cut it out, cut it down. No, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I just I want to give a, I want to give a, a a challenge out to our listeners. If anybody can explain to me what difference a speaker makes, please email me. I want I I'm, I'm anxious to hear this explanation of why I should care about this because everyone tells me I should care, but nobody tells me why I should care. Go ahead, Tom. Okay. I'll I'll, uh, I'm, I'll take a whack at that for you next week, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the economy, shall we? I found this article rather interesting. It's just an anecdotal thing, but um, I thought it was uh, telling. CNBC on Monday, consumers starting to buckle for a first time in a decade. Former Walmart U.S. CEO Bill Simon warns. The draw of bargains may be fading as three of the nation's biggest retailers kick off a key sales week 
Former Walmart CEO warns consumers are starting to buckle for the first time in a decade. He's blaming a list of headwinds weighing on consumers, including inflation, higher interest rates, federal budget wrangling, polarized politics, student loan repayments, and new global tensions connected to violence in Israel. The sort of pileup wears on the consumer and makes them wary. For the first time in a long time, there's a reason for the consumer to pause, um, et cetera, et cetera. So and it goes into like, you know, they yeah. can't lower prices anymore because, you know, they, they're not making any money off of these, off the, off the merch and so on and so forth. So the, the retail guys are feeling it. But of course, Biden, Biden still doesn't get it. I'll play the clip and we can discuss it. Here it is. President, you started your remarks here today by saying it was good news today with the economic report. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. I think the people, those 300 plus thousand people who got jobs feel better about the economy. I'd look, I got to choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me or I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know, to say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean, I, I, I get it, but If you just listen to what's going on around the world, there's reason for people to be concerned. There's reason for people to be concerned what's going on with in Russia. There's reason to be concerned about what's going on in other parts of the world. I think that the American people are smart as hell and know what their interests are. I think they know they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact. And all the all that data, all that polling stuff shows they think they're more positive about the economy than they've been, more positive about their jobs, et cetera. Um, I just think if you, let me put it this way. If you just watch what happened last week in the Congress, how excited are you going to be about much of anything? Okay, well, first of all, you get more legs when you report something that's negative. Clearly shows his his nostalgia for the good old days, right? So uh, nobody says you get more leg uh, these days. I I, I was going to ask you about that because I when I was a young man that meant a very specific thing. <laughs> per, get, perhaps you, it's changed since then. <laughs> Once again, it's your fault. Popular, popular, popular. You know, but you guys, you talk about it so negatively. That's what you do. Which getting leg? I never talk about getting leg. You guys, it's it's never about boy saves dog. It's always about somebody push dog and leg. It's always the fault, someone else's fault, why the Democrats' programs are not popular, popular, popular. Yeah, seriously, man. They own the legacy media. What else do they want? I mean, come on, man. Um, I, I, whatever. I will point. Well, never, never mind. 
just—it's—it's. It's, I, I have said this again. I've said this before. I will say it again. Uh, either he or Trump are not going to be on the final ballot. I, I'm starting to get the well, feeling. It's, I'm starting I mean, to get the feeling it's going to be him. I played the whole clip. My producer and I were going back and forth. Like, should we cut it? And I'm like, where do you cut it? It, like it, you wanted people to see two two, two minutes and twelve so, seconds of Joe Biden in a row, and and judge for yourself whether he should be on the ballot. Just do so, that. So so so, um, Jonathan Martin, the, the great Jonathan Martin, right, wrote a story for Politico. I I think he's the best reporter out there. In politics. He's he's not the best writer. He's not even as good as me. But but he's great. He's a great reporter. And he 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 wrote a story posted yesterday. It said, look, the thing is, is that Biden always says when he gets asked about his age, he's like, watch me. That's his response. He says, the problem is everybody is watching him and he's clear. people overseas. Everybody, every, all, all six billion people on his planet with access to TVs are watching a guy and thinking, that guy ain't right. You know, grandpa needs to be put out to pasture here. Hell yes. And I, look, I'm just like, I don't say it like I'm excited about it. I say it like I'm concerned about it. I mean, if you look at the, I mean, who, like, we're not young chick, spring chickens anymore. Hey, now. These guys are still, all these reporters, quote unquote, and uh, definitely in air quotes, are young and new. But none of the people they interview are young and new. They're the same people. True. They're all the same people. I wonder if, I wonder if Joe gets any leg. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I got a couple on energy. Go ahead. This is from uh, follow follow this, up on that. Go ahead. This is from Reuters, <laughs> and Europe isn't profitable. Solar industry warns of hurdles to EU's green tech drive. <laughs> You're kidding Europe's me. Europe's bid to expand its wait wait green wait 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 wait. Where is this? this Where is, is this headline? I sh- I'm showing it to of, you. Of what? From what paper? It's from Reuters. Reuters. That's what, okay. Go ahead. I just want to make sure. I, yeah, go ahead. This is go ahead. It's legit. Yeah, theoretically, yeah. Europe's bid to expand its green tech industry faces a host of challenges, including high energy costs and supply chain issues. Solar industry representative gathered in Madrid, war, Madrid warned on Thursday, "You cannot manufacture in Europe." Gonzalo de la Vina, president for the Europe, Middle East, and Africa region of Chinese solar energy firm Trina Solar, said at an event hosted by Spanish industry group Foro Solar. Uh, European products are more expensive, according to Christopher Atisi of Jonvari Solar Steel, part of the Spanish industrial firm with factories around the world. There must be... What's the solution? What's the solution, Mike? No, more subsidies, more cash. There must be an incentive for no, the end okay. consumer to buy European products, he <laughs> said. Without demand for European products, it's difficult to plan investments. Oh, bad. And me too, by the Good way. I could use incentives as well. Heaven. Good God in heaven. When when is this thing gonna Quam collapse? Quam when is it gonna Quam collapse? What? What kind of question? When is, is that? the whole house of cards going to come tumbling down on this Ponzi scheme? Maybe you'd feel better if you'd push the dog in a lake. I just want to say that to you. Nobody say. Nobody talks about saving the dog. Forget that. Forget saving the dog. Tie a brick around him. Toss him in a lake. I, you know, call up All your right. reporter friends. I, it, it, so wait, let's review. Offshore wind is not 
feasible or profitable in the United States unless it gets another big chunk of subsidies from the states that they that that quote unquote need the renewable mandates. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. So and it, then it, I, I that's just making the shadow price the RPS right. It's making the shadow price obvious. That's all. And then there's this Uh-oh. hot off the presses. Yeah. Department of Treasury releases new guidance on how a $7,500 EV tax credit can be used. Yeah, I read through that guidance. I was kind it's of concerned. Po- it's a point of sale rebate starting next January, Mike. I, I get it. See, the thing I don't get, I read through the whole guidance. Uh, as best I can tell, the Department of Treasury thinks that car dealers and car buyers are idiots. Because this was already getting embedded in the cost and the conversations, right? When you buy a car, it's a conversation. What are you going to get? What features? What are you going to pay for? Et cetera, et cetera. That 7500 bucks was already getting built into the price of the car, right? I mean, the, the, the price that gets paid for it. So this – but they announced it like it was some great well, big – like the Panama Canal had just opened up. Like it was no, some great thing. Because it's psychological, right? So let me just clarify. Starting in January 1st, consumers can transfer the credits to a car dealer effectively lowering the vehicle's purchase price. Consumers can choose to transfer their new clean vehicle credit of up to $7,500 and their previously owned clean vehicle credit of up to $4,000 to a car dealer starting in January. This will effectively lower the vehicle's purchase price by providing consumers with an upfront down payment on their clean vehicle at the point of sale rather than having to wait to claim their tax credit on their tax return the next year. But that's what what I'm telling you is I know what you're telling me. I'm telling you that it's like the treasury guys don't understand that money's fungible, which kind of which concerns me if you think about what line of work. Well, they that's the official position of the administration because that six billion dollars could not possibly. <laughs> I forgot. That's a great. That's that's a great connection. <laughs> but but the, the money but is the no, point, money is not fungible. It can only be used for one thing. But the but the other issue here now is how much. How messed up will the will the taxes be, if you like? Oh yeah, no, I qualify for the credit. Yeah, the whole shebang. And then you file your taxes, right? And yeah. then you actually only get like five thousand or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, and man, I would love to. I would love to to come back three years from now and see the um the audit the audit trails on some of those things. That's my point. That's see why they, they need do. all these IRS agents because the United States government is seeking to get into your everyday life. They want to give you monthly. They wanted to get, remember, they shoved those monthly child tax credits down our throats. They, they were going to send you a check every month, right? This is now a, another version of that. Yeah, you're probably right? right. You're probably right. I don't, you know, I, like I said, the other alternative is to imagine the Department of Treasury doesn't understand that money's fungible, which is just maybe that's right. Maybe uh, it's right, but you know, it's terrifying. Maybe Yang, has, maybe Yang has it after all. That's just scrap the whole entire social safety net and just write everyone a check every month so um there's a number out somebody puts out a number one of these think tanks puts out a number every year about how much people how much the government spends on people at 125 percent or under the poverty line it's like this this last year was like two trillion dollars which would be enough to give every person under the poverty line 125 percent of the poverty line would be enough to give each and every person 50 grand 
50 grand. Um, well, to, but if you make too much money, you don't to, get that. So. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it, would, it would make everybody – the 40 million people in the country who are eligible, 125% or less in poverty, they would each get 50 grand if you did Andrew Yang's thing. And I'm just like, yeah, why don't we just do that? Just give them 50 grand. Yeah, but it's just like everything else. What, what are they going to undo? Yeah, they're not going to undo anything. But, exactly. but but it's a great idea. It's a great pitch, and like we should like you know Vivek old Vivek Ramaswamy should be talking about that. Like, hey, it'd be better if we just got rid of all this bureaucracy and just gave these people checks. Sorry, I'm 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 in the I'm in that mode now of clearing out the government. You saw I called for just posting documents. Forget the FOIA. It's going to sweep the country. Yeah, yeah. Except for run. except you for, should run for speaker. That's okay. I've got your answer. <laughs> The speaker puts bills on the floor, okay? We've wanted a carbon tax on the floor for how long now? How many years? Yeah, Scalise would do it. We want, you want to let, put bills on the floor and vote on them. Scal vote on the FOIA transparency deal. If you're speaker, you get to do all the things you want Congress to. Just have the vote. That's if I'm the speaker, the see, but, but the thing is, is that speakers respond to like members and so they all respond to the lowest common denominator. Eh, no reason. Just it, bypass all that. It's just put put your ten bills on. Look, say that here's my candidacy. I'm going to be speaker for four months. Here are the ten bills I want to put on the floor for a vote, and then I'll resign. That's yeah, it. That's a good thought. Maybe I should. Do all right, that. Uh, yeah, I got I'll, one you, more you know what, here. If, if, if I tell you what, if they don't solve this thing today, I'll write it in the column for Friday. I just gave you a column idea. Thank you. Perfect. It's a great and it's a good idea. I, I now I got to do is come up with like ten ideas. I probably that's not going to be too hard. I mean, I, we already have five of them right I now. I was going to say we just came up with three or four sitting here. Tom, biannual budgeting, right? One year you yeah, have to actually yeah. pass like a budget. Carbon tax. Next year you have to like carbon tax. FOIA. Uh, FOIA transparency uh, reigns act or some regulatory thing. The regulatory know, budget. I just like account for God's sake. Just right. give me a account. Thank you. Thank you. You, you know That's what? It. The inventory, the inventory of assets, right? The inventory of the offshore, yeah. offshore assets. We've never That's had that right. either. And scrap the five-year plan. That's a combination bill. So yeah. Well, hell, there you go. We've come up with like six, uh, seven. Yeah, we can go on and we can go on. And I'll on. probably come up with thirty. No, but we're not because this is the single. You want to talk about existential threats from climate change? Yo, here is the existential. Let's threat have from it. Climate change. And this is from New York Times, and there is this. Seven page. This is a seven page printed article. Are you ready? This is this is the big this is the big story of the week. Forty five seasons in, Survivor faces the realities. I saw this of a changing planet. I saw this. The CBS hit, along with fellow staple, The Amazing Race, is learning to deal with climate change, globalization, and other seismic shifts. Since its premiere in 2000, the CBS hit reality show has taken place across the globe in each season set in exotic island locale. Palo, Tigua, Co... Oh, I'm going to butcher all these. I'm, I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce them. But around a decade ago, the longtime host and executive producer Jeff Probst had an alarming realization. A growing population was making it harder to find remote islands without anybody on them. Extreme weather, including rising heat and more intense storms, was making it more dangerous to film, and burgeoning political unrest was making it more difficult to work with certain governments or in countries that no longer felt safe. 
Survivor. Will Survivor survive climate change? I can honestly say I've never watched a single episode, so... Well, that is the question. This whole article is is discussing... Is this the one where, is this the one where the they... The roadblocks get- to both Survivor and the ra- Amazing Race because of climate change, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't read anything else this week, read this it, hard-hitting hard piece hitting. from the New York Times. It, is this the one where they give roses to each other? No, you get voted off the island and all you that get, other yeah, stuff. Yeah, you get you, you know get I mean? voted off by the bachelorettes or something, isn't that? No, it's, you're you're conflating they, very you, very popular. This, is this the one where you is this the one where you come and you talk about your business and then they vote you off the island? Is that <laughs> is it that? All right, that's it. That's the most important, most consequential. That's it. We saved the best. We saved the best for the last. All right, no, we we got more. We got what do we got? Yes, we got like five minutes left, right before you're at a hard stop. Yeah, something like that. All right, so let's get to sports, and then I want to play some. I know this is painful, but I want to play a clip from Hillary, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Okay. Okay. So here we are. Uh, Bills lose in an ugly ugly fashion to the Jaguars and actually the biggest loser was the referees uh there were I have never seen any game where more flags were thrown than this one it was just ridiculous yeah these London games awful game these London games are never good nobody ever says that but they're just never good it sucked yeah Eagles are five and oh with the tush push yeah they're doing fine um they beat LA the Lions producer yeah, the Lions they, win. Yeah, four and one, four and one baby. Dude, you know what, killing it. We're playing Baltimore better. next week. I'm going. Playing Baltimore, he's right. going. And uh, can I get a do over on the Vikings thing? No. Can, can I? Can no. You please. No. They're they're one and four, dude. They... No. It's why I didn't. It's it's why I never picked. It's why I never picked the Giants because you're just like it's going to go uh, bad as soon as I open my they're mouth. They're going to have a good year. All right, so that's football. So uh, who did you pick? I forgot the Bengals. The Bengals. What did they do? Two and three, I know, right? Two and three? I think they're two and three. Yeah, that was an ugly game. And I'm never going to my cousin Joe's house again to watch a Bills game because every time I do, they lose. So I'm cursed. He's got a great TV, but <laughs> you're gonna you're, you're, you're blame you blame your cousin. Nice. I'm blaming me. I, I curse the Bills. You're, you're the you're you're the jinx. You're just gonna sit in a closet. Good. All right, quick wrap up on MLB. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you know this, but the AL East went a combined zero and seven. Yeah, and I'm you know in the postseason, the mighty AL East. There's something pretty cool. Got blanked in the postseason. Yeah, you're missing the you're missing the important part of the story. The important part of the story is is if the Yankees aren't going to be in the playoffs, you got to hope that the Orioles and the Dodgers go out too. And mercifully, the Dodgers went out last night, and the Orioles went out um, day before. So you know, at least really. The only the only teams left in there that I that I I like I like the Phillies because I you know spent the time yeah, well, in Philadelphia. I'm, I'm, I'm going for the Braves. I don't like the Phillies. I like I like the Phillies. Um, I don't like the Diamondbacks. Not a huge Diamondbacks fan. Um, you know, in the American League, I, you can't possibly root for the Astros no matter what happens. If the Astros if seven the, in a row, yeah, you can't root for the Astros. Yes. The I, I will say one thing. I have thought this for a number of years, and I wonder if we're watching it this year. I have always thought Bryce Harper was the kind of player who could just put a team up on his back and have an amazing 15-game streak and just carry them through, and it looks like he's finally doing it. I mean, he's only been in the league for like a dozen years, but he's finally doing it. It's a great point, too, because uh, there was a resurfacing of the fact that the Yankees didn't even bother to interview him, 
and he voluntarily offered to play first base for the Yankees because he was he grew up a Yankees fan. But he he said, obviously, I knew there was no room for me when they picked up uh, the big man Stanton. And how's that going for him? Yeah. But uh, he was he's disappointed that they didn't even talk to him. So there's that. Um, and then you mentioned Houston, which nobody should be a Houston fan. They're a terrible, terrible franchise. Cheaters. Terrible. terrible but I thought favorite. this was interesting. Uh, the Twins, who just yeah. lost to yeah. uh, Houston, Carlos Correa. I want your comments or feedback on this. I have a, I have an opinion. He said, "Quote on the on the scandal, the cheating scandal." Quote: I tried everything to stop them. <laughs> wow. Every day I said, guys, let's cut the crap and play the game the way it's meant to be played. No analytics, no calculators or graphs, nobody telling us what's coming. Just the talent God gave, God gave us. They threatened to trade me to the Rockies when Bregman came up, so I went along with it. I protested in my heart and wept during the World Series, knowing it should have been New York beating the Dodgers, who were never a team I consider to have heart, unquote. Yikes. Well, that's great. That's super good. So it turns out that, you know, five years after the shooting's over, you've come out on the side of the good guys. Congratulations. You'll deny, yeah, you'll deny me three times, Peter. I'm going to say. Know, it's like, are you kidding me? Good for you, pal. Where were you? Like I said, where were you when the shooting was going on? I, the, the worst part was, so I just went along with it. No, the best part is I, <laughs> the best part is I protested in my heart. I'm like, is, yeah. is that where that happens? Protesting happens in the heart? All right. Um, the, Hillary, again, we talked about the same people being interviewed. Hillary brought up the deprogramming thing again. Here's the clip. Uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm -hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. So, you know, the deplorables need deprogramming is essentially what she said. Okay. But this, this clip bothers me even more. And let me explain why after we listen to it. How, how is this still happening? It's the classic tale of uh, an authoritarian uh, populist uh, who really has a grip on the emotional, psychological uh, needs and desires of a portion of the uh, population. And the base of the Republican Party, for whatever combination of reasons, and it is emotional and psychological, um, sees in him someone who speaks for them. And they are determined that they will continue to vote for him, attend his rallies, wear his merchandise, because for whatever reason, he and his you know, very negative, uh, nasty form of politics resonates with them. Maybe they don't like migrants. 
maybe they don't like gay people or black people or the woman who got the promotion at work they didn't get. Whatever the reason, you know, Make America Great Again was a bid uh, for nostalgia to return to a place where, you know, people could be in charge of their lives, feel empowered, say what they want, insult whoever came in their way. And that was really attractive to um, a significant portion of the Republican base. Uh, so it is like a cult. And somebody has to break, the, uh, you know, <laughs> break that momentum. And that's why I believe Joe Biden will defeat him. And hopefully then that will be the end and the fever will break. And then uh, Republicans can try to get back to, you know, fighting about issues among themselves and electing people who are at least you know, responsible and accountable. Who knows why these 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 cultists? Who knows why they they flock to Donald Trump like sheep? Who maybe they don't like migrants? Maybe they don't like gay people or black people or the woman who got the promotion at work that they didn't get. Who knows why? But we need to wash this miserable man out of politics forever, because if we don't, Republicans will never get back to a place where they're just good little lemmings that do whatever the hell we tell them to do whenever the hell we tell them to do that in exchange for a few scraps, maybe an increased military budget or whatnot or what have you. Dude, aren't... Okay. Yeah. Obviously, I have strong feelings about this. Obviously. This this is this is the Democratic Party. I, I'm, I'm not even I, I have to be they cling to their guns and their really remember remember President yeah, Obama. I remember they cling to their guns. This and their is religion. amazing. Like this is just amazing. And, and secondly, most of these people used to be Democrats. Well, I don't know about that. And, like like maybe maybe two generations ago, they were Democrats. Um, they haven't been Democrats since Ronald Reagan. It, 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 look, I, I listen to this stuff and I have two really clear thoughts. You want to hear them? I do. I love to hear your clear yeah, thoughts. Yeah, here's my here's clear thought number one, and it's the overwhelming thought. Like, who the hell is Hillary Clinton? Why are we still listening to her? Honestly. She was a secretary of state like 10 years ago now. That's it. Honestly. I mean, she was a she was a you know, she was a backbench senator from from a from a dwindling state and then she was a secretary of state who did nothing except you know stood by idly by while her own people got killed in libya right and benghazi don't forget what difference yeah, does it benghazi well i don't I, you know I, and washed a whole bunch of emails but yeah hey, we, you know we we can argue about any of it but the bottom line is, is she did nothing to save them so um so I have no idea why we're listening to her. I mean, I don't listen to John Kerry anymore. He's a washed-up senator from a B-level state and a and a sec former Secretary of State. So then anyway, one, why are we listening to this lady? And then second, you know, the the in in the immediate in the immediate, I was like, every time, literally every time she's allowed to go on one of these jags, I'm like, you understand, you understand 2016 a lot better. She just doesn't yep. – she does not like people. She really doesn't like people. And, and you know, and, and that comes – I mean, you see it in her face, right? But, but when she says stuff like this, you can tell she doesn't like people. She has no empathy at all for anybody, 
you know, and she really just doesn't like people. And I'm like, it's very difficult to be president if you don't like people. And cause that comes through on TV. You have to like, you have to go back and watch that. What was that movie based on that book about the Clintons? Anonymous wrote it, but turned out to be Joel Klein. Primary Colors. Primary Colors, yeah. Listeners, go watch that movie. It's very good. It's yeah. very good. I mean, she, she's just, she, it's the antithesis of her husband, which is weird, right? Because he liked, genuinely liked people. And he always. Oh, would, gosh. Yeah. He, I mean, he converted everybody. He was always yeah. looking for an opportunity to to interact with people who didn't agree with him. He, he didn't take it like, you idiot. He was always like, tell me what's in your head, right? I feel your pain. I get, I, I hear what you're trying to say. I do. It's, he, he was. As opposed to the lecturer in chief. Yeah, he did. I, I'd be honest with you. Bill Clinton, probably second best president in my lifetime. Uh, um, it's, it, it's hard to argue that. You know, and, and, I mean, and, you have lived a long life, though. You got to go all the way back to like what? Abe Lincoln. <laughs> all right. You got to go. You got a hard stop. I'm okay. Uh, I got one more to close us out. Um and we, then let's wrap it up. For, is, it, for, is this is this to deprogram us or to is this to program us or deprogram us? No, no. This is just to explain what. Just listen to the clip. Okay. You all should need to know that America is not sending their best and brightest, you know, to Washington D.C. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> Sometimes, sometimes you literally just can't believe, like, you know, these people are making the decisions that are, you know, determining the, the government here. It's, it's, it's actually scary. So, so let me guess, that was a stand-up comedian? <laughs> that was a guy in The Tonight Show? Who was that, Tom? John Fetterman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the junior United States senator from the Commonwealth <laughs> of Pennsylvania? That John Fetterman? They were not, oh. Apparently, Pennsylvania is not sending us their best and brightest. Just so you know. Apparently, you would be you would be amazed. <laughs> You'd be absolutely amazed, and I am amazed that we have done 152 episodes of the Unregulated Podcast. We would not do this every week if it were not the inspiration of our listeners. So, thank you very much. Onward. <laughs> You know, good luck, Steve Scalise. We're not, we're not, by no means are we the best and brightest either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Namaste. Namaste.